Well, you know, after the first interview that we had, I thought to myself, you know, I never really thought about it. I never really thought about what it is to be a girl in the kitchen. Why aren't there as many female chefs as there are males? You know, and it got my, my wheels turning a little bit. I had never thought about it. Episode 8, Changes. This is Copper and Heat, a podcast exploring the unspoken rules and traditions of the kitchen. I'm Katie Osuna. You're listening to the last episode in our first season, Be a Girl, all about women in fine dining kitchens. Over the last seven episodes, we've talked about a lot of the challenges facing women working in restaurant kitchens, from the hierarchical structure of the kitchen to the stereotypical view of women's cooking. If this is your first time joining us, I recommend going back to our first episode, Brigade, and listening through the whole season. This episode will make a whole lot more sense. Just a heads up, there's definitely going to be some cursing, and we're going to talk about topics that might not be safe for work. This episode has been a long time coming. We've been struggling to get this one ready. My partner Ricardo and I both got busy with day jobs, and of course, there were holidays. But the real reason it's taken so long is that we've been trying to figure out how to wrap this season up. We obviously don't have a clear-cut solution to the topics we've covered in this season, but I do believe that change is happening. And that's exactly what we want to focus on in this episode. Changes. It's worked for a million years. Why, why, why are we changing it? Because uh, it fucking sucks. Honestly, I, it's like, how? Like, it's like, I don't know how it's going to change, honestly. I just think the industry is very different than what it used to be. I feel like it's always going to be a gender thing in the culinary world just because it's so competitive. Like, what's the part that needs to change? You know, why do I need to be an asshole? It is whoever's running the restaurant. They are the ones that can change things. When it becomes a sense of normalcy, that's when it, it becomes too difficult to backtrack. And change it. The only way to win that battle is to go out and open some restaurants and be really successful without allowing that. Keep fighting the good fight and do what you love and don't let anyone say that you can't. You know, as much as right now we can say that, that yes, it is a male-dominated industry, we're coming up. There's been a big push in the restaurant industry over the last several years about representation and recognition. Media outlets and awards have paid particular attention to the gender issue, especially in the aftermath of Me Too. Bon Appetit's best restaurants list went from having two to five women in positions of leadership. Food and wine top chefs went from three out of 10 in 2017 to six in 2018. And in 2018, over half of James Beard Award winners were women or people of color. Here's the interesting thing, though. 
there's been a lot of talk over the last five years about being better about representing and recognizing chefs that are ladies and women of color. And representation has increased. In looking at the data, can you guess the change in how many women are chefs or head cooks? Maybe it's gone up 5 10%? Not so much. As of 2017, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics estimates that around 19% of chefs identify as women and 9% identify as women of color. And that hasn't really changed in at least the last 15 years, since 2003. Before 2003, the census didn't distinguish between chefs, head cooks, food preparation supervisors, or other food service cooks. They were all just lumped into one category, so we can't really say what the data is before that. But at some point before 2003, women made their way into restaurant kitchens and worked their way up to a chef position. But then what happened? Obviously, representation and recognition is incredibly important. And it does take time to see the results in the data. But there's also a lot more at play, preventing women from reaching the top. We've spent the last seven episodes discussing it, and we barely scratched the surface. I wanted to try to have these conversations with others, but I was scared. And I wanted to start having these conversations with people, but I didn't know how. So before we even started production on episodes, I had this conversation with my dad. He's been giving me pep talks since I was tiny. My brother and I ever so lovingly called them lectures growing up. Okay, I can even like play along so that I fit in. Or I can be like, you guys are being assholes <laughs> and then be labeled as the outsider and be like oh well you just don't get it so like there's that dynamic well there's a fine line there i guess because you don't want to necessarily ostracize yourself but at the same time you don't want to enable an attitude that's going to just cause them all pain and suffering in the long run right because you know that's just dis- that's disordered from what truth just you know honorable righteous mm-hmm. kinds of feelings or intent is. So if you know it's disordered behavior, disordered words, disordered language, you don't want to necessarily enable it because it takes people nowhere, you know, but at the same time, you don't want to create enough of a row that then you just become minimized or ostracized and you can't have any effect in the kitchen. So it's, yeah, I can see where that would be a tough, a tough thing. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hey, we are now recording this call. Besides talking with my dad, my partner Ricardo and I had a lot of conversations about why and if we would do the podcast. We would talk about it a lot, all the time, even while we were driving to work. This is a recording from one of those conversations. I really believe in what we're doing. I like really believe in your unique perspective on the story that you're telling looking into kitchens, interviewing cooks, like talking about your experience as a woman in fine dining. I, I, I think that's a really unique experience and perspective. And like the importance of the, the stuff that you're diving into on the podcast and wanting to dive into. Yeah. I mean, part of it, I think, is also just like, why would anybody want to listen to me? <laughs> Yeah, I think what we're gonna we're talking about is cool and interesting and important. I that's like my whole struggle with doing it in general. It's also like, is it though? 
It's like really interesting to people. Well, not even just interesting, but like, what's the point? <laughs> right. Is it really important? This has always been my biggest struggle with doing the podcast. Even now, after we've produced almost a whole season, there's always this voice in my head that says I'm being too sensitive, that I'm just complaining, that there's no point to sharing my experience, which is something that I've had to work through while making the season, and honestly, I'm still working through on the daily. Though we received overwhelming support from friends and family, and a lot of you who are listening and working in the industry, validating my experiences and sharing your own, there are always the skeptics voicing out loud what I was already telling myself. But that one instance in particular where I was just freaking fuming at work and I'm like, where's my phone? I need to text Katie. (laughs) This is Caitlin. She's the executive pastry chef at a restaurant in California. We work together at the Plume Course and she's been in the industry for a lot of her life. You've heard her on some of the other episodes and speaking of supportive and positive, she's been listening to the podcast at work with her team. I got a text from her one day after she was listening to an episode in the kitchen. Which episode was it? Maybe like the third episode, possibly. You said it was the one where I was talking about France. Yeah, yeah, when you guys were in France. If you want to listen to the whole story, go back and listen to the second episode in the season, Oddity. Here's a recap, though. When I was working at Manresa, our team took a trip to France to cook a few pop-up dinners at some of the most highly regarded restaurants in the country. The entire team was introduced to one of the top Michelin-starred chefs in the country. He introduced himself to everyone and shook their hands. When he shook my hand, he just said, ooh la la, and continued to introduce himself to the others. I was pretty furious, and my friends, Nick and Chris, who are other cooks at Manresa, backed me up. One of my sous chefs goes, I don't know, it just, it kind of sounds like she's just like complaining a lot. And I swear, if my hair like wasn't up in a bun, it would have just been like this epic like movie-esque moment of just whipping around and like making eyes at him. And I was like, excuse me? He goes, yeah, I don't know. It just like, sounds like she's just kind of like just whining and complaining like through the whole, the whole thing that she's talking about. And I just kind of like, I had no freaking words. (laughs) I was just like, oh man. I just shook my head and I walked away and I was like, I can't believe you actually just freaking said that to me. And I was like, you're clearly not paying attention. You're clearly not listening. It makes me furious because yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, hi, this is not an issue for you. So why, like, what? Why are you like bringing up your stupid, petty fucking opinion about it that like we don't want? Like, that's not the point. It's not the point to point out like, Oh, she sounds like she's really upset about something. Yeah, she fucking is. Rightfully so. And the worst part is that it's like so like awesome listening to your team be like, oh yeah, we were about ready to like just throw down. We're like, did he just say that? And I'm like, yes, there are guys. They do get it. And I was like, woo, like team and race, like killing it, you know? And then I'm like, I whip around and I'm over here disappointed as shit in my team, which I'm just like, well... There are guys who do get it. And I have to say, the friends that I've made over the last couple years are champs. Each of them sat down with me for over two hours and not only talked about all this complicated and touchy stuff, but we had some great conversations that were not easy. And they even got a little uncomfortable. Well, yeah, no, this is an intimidating conversation to have because, you know, like, regardless, you know, you're going to put this out there and people are going to like look at, hear it. And regardless of what I'm saying and how 
you see my body language right now and how you're really understanding what I'm saying, somebody who's hearing it is going to understand it the way they want to understand it. And, and nobody's going to please everybody, you know? So it's an intimidating conversation to have and you're putting your thoughts and opinions out there and (laughs) somebody's going to, somebody's going to feel some certain way about your thoughts and opinions and it might not be a good one. So, you know, they could be thinking this Fred guy's full of shit right now. So (laughs) it's just like weird because you're right when no one talks about it necessarily. And then like you're currently, I'm thinking like, what am I going to say? That's going to just sound terrible. (laughs) but not trying to sound terrible. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I'm succeeding. (laughs) I think that's why it's so important that these kinds of conversations are happening. For a long time, kitchen culture has been shaped by masculinity. The kitchen was a place for misfits, usually cis, straight, white men, to act how they wanted to act and not have to answer to societal norms. If someone else wanted to come into the kitchen that didn't fit into the rowdy, harsh culture, it fell on them to change how they acted or what they said, rather than for the kitchen to change to welcome them. That's just the way it was. By having these conversations with my friends from all different backgrounds, I realized how deeply ingrained these ideals are in the culture of kitchens and just how alienating it is for some people. It's only recently that these things are starting to come into question. You know, all of the like sexual harassment scandals were so like, oh my God, to everyone. But we're like, yo, that's like a daily. Here's Caitlin again. That's a, that's a normal, that's a casual Tuesday kind of thing. Like the fact that, you know, a few people stepped up and said, hey, this is a real thing. Hey, this is not freaking okay. Um, it's empowered a lot of people to and not be so hush-hush about it and break that mold of, of normalcy. Guys are weird, and they say the weirdest stuff, especially when they think that no one's listening. This is Kaya. She worked in a fine dining restaurant for a while before leaving to start her own catering company. And I'm the type of person, I'm always listening. I hear every single joke, comment, side eye they make towards like a host or a waitress like I'm always looking and so it's like one of those things where I made my stance is when I not that necessarily I would always call them out on it but I made it sure that they they knew that I was listening for sure like I would give side eye I would look stare at them you know like hello like I heard that comment like yeah you didn't get that that one didn't slip past me so and then I mean being sensitive especially in a kitchen being a woman it's seen as a weakness and so as women you try your hardest to be the like be the strong one be able to stand your ground and like have a backbone in the kitchen so when it comes to like things like oh that probably would have hurt your feelings or like didn't really sit right with you it's like you kind of have to like just kind of just take a big gulp and (laughs) deal with what's given to you so um but yeah, there's, I mean, there's times where you have to like turn it off, like you have to turn your emotions off in that that sense, but it's a job. <laughs> so it's like, all right, you gotta just do what you gotta do. But who wants to go to work feeling like they're always on edge and always have to, you know, have, keep a guard on what they say? Like no one wants to be a work in that type of environment. Like you want it to be a place where you can do what you love to do and also enjoy the people who you're doing it with. It's, it's very one-sided and very much so like, okay, if you're a certain person, yeah, you have this type of freedom. Yeah, you're able to freely say what you want, but 
they knew for sure what the things that they would say, you know, weren't respectful at all. Or, you know, realized like, oh yeah, there's a girl in the kitchen. Like I should probably watch what I say. It's like, it's like they apologize, but it's not like really an apology. It's probably more of like an acknowledgement. Like, yes, I see that you notice and I'm embarrassed for it, but I'm still gonna say whatever I want type of thing. It's a little bizarre to be having these really personal conversations, while at the same time reading about all the larger scale dialogue going on between media, awards outlets, and well-known chefs. The discomfort and awkwardness that comes out person to person gets even more amplified when you're dealing with people who operate in the public sphere. In August 2018, I attended the Mad Food Symposium in Copenhagen. Mad is a gathering of people from all sorts of disciplines in food. Chefs, farmers, journalists, academics, and so on. It was started by Rene Redzepi of Noma Restaurant, so there's always a lot of hoopla surrounding it, with lots of famous people and food attending. I met a couple women who were journalists, with their work published in all sorts of magazines. Time, Bon Appetit, Food and Wine, Condé Nast. I made this comment about how media plays an important role in helping women chefs gain recognition. They got defensive and countered my comment by saying that they have a job to do, and that's to cover what's already happening in the industry. And it's not just them. Back in 2016, when Time Magazine got a lot of flack for only featuring three men chefs on the cover of their Gods of Food issue, the section editor said the same thing. They can only cover what's happening in the industry. The chefs that are most influential are men because they're the ones that have been in kitchens. If chefs started to talk about the gender issue, then they could cover it. Then came the Me Too stories, and suddenly there was this dramatic event, a story to tell that brought these issues into the forefront. Women were starting to feel powerful enough to talk to us. This is Kim Severson, a food reporter for the New York Times, at a New York Times event held in San Francisco back in July 2018. She was part of the team that broke the Me Too stories in the food industry. You know, so it's sort of a, it was like a wave that we were just um, riding, you know. And so I spent hours, we all spent hours pro listening, you know, it's just a lot of it's listening, right? We had to build trust with them and say, you know, we're gonna tell your story. The Times is a great platform to tell the story. And we just were very patient and talked. And eventually it just, miraculously, all those women wanted to talk finally. And it was so powerful, right, that to hear the woman's voice, and it took all this sort of shame out of it in a way. And we won a Pulitzer for a, a number of stories at the Times, 10 different stories about the Me Too thing. And not that I, this is not for nothing, but all of the writers except for one were women. And I think the editors changed, their, changed what they thought was a story, right? What, what deserves to be on the front page. If I said, I want to write about sexual harassment in the restaurant industry, five years ago, the editors would be like, ah, it's okay, but you know, maybe we'll, you know. But these, were, these are now front page stories. This is just, there was an energy happening, a cultural shift, and we were able to you know, provide an opportunity for all the women who came forward and would talk about it because it was really their story, and we just were respectful enough to sit back and listen and tell it as honestly as we could. So it's not anything we did. It was really the women who, who came forward, so... All, all props to them. It's complicated. On the one hand, you have writers and journalists saying it's up to the chefs and those in management. On the other, you have chefs taking the stance that they're doing their job and the media needs to step it up. You know, people can apply for jobs. People, If people have a fast passion for opening up a restaurant or working in a restaurant, they can follow it. 
it's their decision. This is David Kinch, chef of Manresa Restaurant in Los Gatos. Uh, but in terms of, you know, gender, persons of color, you know, I, I don't even think about it. You know, it's, it's, you know, for me, we try to put out the best product possible at Manresa. And what I try to do is build a team to make that happen. That's why your decision has to be merit-based and someone being in the right place at the right time. But I think the media is going to play a big role. They have to play a big role in promoting more nurturing restaurants and kind of out of that tunnel-visioned, you know, glossy food magazine, trendy restaurant, which I think tends to be run by a lot of guys. The issue is complex, and there tends to be a whole lot of finger-pointing. We can say chefs need to be doing more, or the media isn't doing a good enough job of representing everyone, which are both totally true. But there are changes on that front as well. Our previous episode, View from the Kitchen, is all about three chefs, Chef Rima Seal, Tanya Holland, and Dominique Crenn, that are making some great changes in their kitchens. Plus, there are a lot of new food writers that are challenging the old guard. Take Salejo, for example chef, podcast producer, and newly hired food critic at the San Francisco Chronicle. She's stirring up a whole lot of controversy by doing things like straight-on addressing race and gender in her reviews and removing the star rating system altogether. So change is happening. Chefs are the face of the restaurant, and like Kim Severson says, the media determines whose voices and stories are worthy of attention. But obviously, they're not the only voices in the conversation. Which brings us back to the cooks. What about the people who are stuck in it? Change happens slowly because these attitudes and feelings are ingrained in what we as cooks do every day. And no one really knows now like what's okay, what's acceptable, and what's not. And a lot of people that even do just kind of like close their eyes and like shut their ears and they're like la 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 and just turn around and just walk away and let it happen. And it's just become like just a breeding ground of just inappropriate things that now are no longer inappropriate, they're normal. And when it becomes a sense of normalcy, that's when it, it becomes too difficult to backtrack and change it because it's normal. It's their routine and people like routine and especially us, we're creatures of habit. And so it's like, cool. Every, every day, it's going to be the same thing, and this is how it's always going to be, and it's always, always okay now, which is shitty. <laughs> we're creatures of habit. We're trained to be that way. When we're deep in the weeds on a daily basis, we let our instincts and our experiences rule us. And sometimes that comes out in a way that we don't necessarily want, in a way that we regret later. I know that that happens to me all the time. Change isn't going to happen overnight. Sometimes change needs a catalyst, a big event that propels the industry forward, like the Me Too stories coming to light in the media, because they're big and scandalous enough to be newsworthy. But for the change to actually take hold, the people who are in the kitchen every day just trying to get their job done, their voices need to be heard as well. I had this conversation with my friend Dan about putting our opinions out there, and he said something that really resonated with me. And what I think a lot of cooks are feeling nowadays. I guess it's a self-conscious thing where it's like, uh, no one wants to listen to me. Because I, like, seriously though, like, I can see people listening to a podcast like this 
I definitely can. Uh, it's just I think that the fact that I don't think it's really ever been done where people like talk to cooks and like they they talk to the chefs and the people in charge, but like they don't necessarily talk to the lower level people. And and that's why it's like kind of like it's not normal. Like maybe it has been done and no one wanted to listen. You know, I just don't think like normal people are all that interested in, I don't know, it's like we're not the people that are important. It's the chefs that get the glory, and that's kind of that mentality that most most cooks have too. So you kind of like feel weird about doing something like this where you're like literally just talking about yourself. It's It's like a weird thing, you know? <laughs> I don't think I'm crazy in that. Maybe there isn't anybody that wants to listen to the cooks. Maybe no one wants to listen to me complain about my problems as a woman in the industry. That's obviously what the voice in my head tells me all the time. And it's my biggest fear putting all this out in the world. We are finally hearing from voices that have been ignored for a long time. The change is going to be uncomfortable. It always is. In order for it to make its way into the kitchens and into the heads of cooks, we have to start talking to each other and really listening. So what's, what have you been thinking? Well, what, what are your notes? <laughs> My notes. This is Edelyn. You've heard her a lot throughout the season. She's an executive sous chef, all around badass, and one of my biggest inspirations. She and I had two different conversations that I recorded. After our first interview, she sent me a message with all these things that she'd been thinking about. So I asked her to come back and do a second interview. You know, this is kind of like therapy. This is kind of like, this is kind of like cooks slash chefs therapy. You're just like spilling your guts and you're just like telling it like it is. And you know, you have to like really reach deep down in yourself to like, find that emotion that has like been suppressed because like you suppress so much of your emotion to like get through the day <laughs> isn't that like sucky as i am constantly reminded by the people in my life my feelings and my experiences are important and more likely than not there are others feeling the exact same way it's a really interesting to people well not even just interesting but like what's the point Here's that phone conversation I had with Ricardo again. Like, is it really important? And just to, like, pause on that question of is it really important, I just think back to you describing to me the conversation you had with Evelyn and her talking about how since she did the interview with you for Conquer and Heat, that she's just been thinking about these things that she hasn't thought about before, and now she feels a sense of responsibility. I mean, what other proof do you want that it's important? Yeah, but I feel like that I'm, this is where, like, I get really cynical. It's like, for every Edelyn, there's going to be at least one person who's like, what the fuck is she complaining about? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I understand that. I mean, you have had these experiences... And regardless of what people think, they have been experiences that have been challenging for you, right? I don't care what anyone else says, and 
it was something that that I know has been helpful for you to like work through in terms of getting it down on paper, so to speak. But doing it in a podcast format where you're interviewing more than a dozen people and getting their perspectives, I think it's like such a better and um, like such a better tool for starting a conversation like you want to as opposed to if you'd just like written a series of seven blog posts about it. If it becomes about more than just your story, just you, you know, complaining. <laughs> yeah. Which is not the case at all, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, after the first interview that we had, I thought to myself, you know, I never really thought about it. I never really thought about what it is to be a girl in the kitchen. Why aren't there so as many female chefs as there are, are males? You know, and I got my, my wheels turning a little bit. I'm like, you know what? Why? I just, I had never thought about it. I was just too busy trying to do, you know, my best and trying to make a name for myself that it never really crossed my mind. But the more I think about it, the more I feel like I have a responsibility to, you know, be a good role model for future female chefs out there. You know, and I this responsibility that I feel like I have more now, you know, I just want to empower them to let them know that we have a place in the kitchen. Because I do think about these things a lot, I feel like Edelyn said that it's a responsibility to say something, to try and do something about it. Doing a podcast is just my way of trying to do better. And to be honest, I'm completely learning as I go. Having conversations with people and diving into the research that I have, I'm constantly learning new things about not only gender, but race and class and all these other intersections in food. I'm still not entirely sure why I'm doing it on the internet, but hopefully it helps others see that as uncomfortable as it is, it's manageable. And not only manageable, but necessary. I'm not saying you have to start a podcast. I'm not even saying you need to start a conversation on the internet, but start by talking with friends. Talk to the people that you spend 12, 14, 16 hours a day with. If you start to understand people on a human level and not just on a surface level, you will find somewhere to connect with them. You will find common ground. Because kitchens operate like that. Like, you could hate someone, but you spend 12 hours a day with someone, you're gonna find something to laugh about, something that connects to you. It's just inevitable. And so like, if anything, like kitchens are a great place for people to get to know people they don't know, races they don't know, because you're forced to. You're forced to make it happen because the nature of a team is to accomplish your goal. I worked for somebody who actually was very, very pro only hiring diverse people. I remember it created a way more 
equal foundation as a as a restaurant. We were all very different people who had very different backgrounds and you know the gender ratio was very spot on to 50/50 and it was one of the best environments I had. I think that 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 was an environment that everybody learned from everybody more than I've seen in any kitchen. You know, people are too scared of learning something different or looking at it a different opinion and actually understanding it and if we want to fight for a kitchen that's going to be more quality driven is going to have to be through people understanding that okay well i have a lot of dudes in my kitchen right now maybe hiring another one isn't the best thing maybe i need to hire some females and like is that awful that we have to say that and think that maybe yeah but like what other solution are we going to find right now my ladies don't be afraid to be who you are i think that's what something that kind of discourages us as females is just being afraid to be who we are. You know, when a when a position opens up for for a sous chef or you know executive chef or whatever, a lot of times we aren't the first ones to really um, to really go for it. We we got to go for it um, because because we can do it. You know, we can do anything just as well or even better as. A male can, <laughs> and uh, you know, the more I feel like the more we really empower each other, um, the more that we will get recognized, and not just being recognized as female chefs, but just recognized as chefs. Don't completely end up losing yourself just because you feel like. The person you are, and when I say person, air quote, you being a female is what I really mean. Let that deter you from, from being like authentically yourself. I had to change how I am because I felt like it was the only way that I was going to succeed. Don't feel like you have to become this like cold hearted bitch just to do your job correctly. And don't let anyone tell you you need to be more aggressive or anything. Just get it done the way that it feels right for you because it's gonna be the easiest way for you to achieve what you're achieving when it's comfortable and right for you. Just be straight up you. These conversations are starting to happen. And it's inspiring to see people come forward about their issues with the industry. And it's really exciting. Overwhelming, but exciting. And for all those of us in the weeds of the industry, it's important for each of us to realize that we're not alone. We might come from different backgrounds and have different experiences, but we're all here to cook. And no matter what gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, it's got to be a kitchen where everyone is welcome. We are not the first ones to have conversations like this. If you're interested in learning more, hearing from cooks and chefs having these kinds of discussions, check out some of these other podcasts. Racist Sandwich, Radio Cherry Bomb, Gravy, and Keep Calm and Cook On. 
head on over to our website for our list of some of our favorite episodes. Plus, there's a list of several different organizations that are doing some really awesome things in the gender and food realm. Now that we've wrapped up this season, we're going to be taking a little break while we ramp up for season two. If you have any thoughts about what other topics you'd like us to explore, send us an email at hello at copperandheat.com or leave us a message at 208-718-2719. Be a Girl, the first season of Copper and Heat is produced by me, Katie Osuna and Ricardo Osuna. A special thanks to Rachel Palmer and Clancy Magnuson for editing help on episodes throughout the season and to Erin Nelson for her editorial support on this episode. A huge thank you to everyone involved helping make this first season possible, especially our beautiful interviewees, Dan D'Amico, Fred Dandretta, Kaya Fuller, Edelyn Garcia, David Kinch, Mitch Leinhard, Christopher Hamilton Lord, Caitlin McCullough, Mary Stewart, Chris Stewart, Dylan Stewart, Courtney Weil, and Koji Yokoyama. And a special thank you to the New York Times subscriber events team for allowing us access to their event, The View from the Kitchen, with Kim Severson and chefs Rima Seal, Tanya Holland, and Dominique Krenn. We're still trying to get the word out there, and we need more listeners. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a review. It helps us so much. Please help us spread the word. Head on over to Twitter or Instagram and find us at Copper and Heat. And last, thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back.